I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Miles Bertrand, Chief Executive Officer of Tuum. We're talking about the future of banking, but you can't talk about the future of banking without talking about the past of banking, the challenges posed by legacy systems and their limitations. This is the biggest hurdle to get over, isn't it? Yeah, thanks for having me, Robin. And I agree. And I think, you know, the biggest hurdle that hurdle the legacy systems I have, in my opinion, is time. The expectations of the market, in particular, the expectations of customers these days, is they expect things to happen so much quicker. Uh, they expect it to be such a seamless service that the demands that they put and the pressure they're putting on their, their banks and their final, financial institutions are really driving a different type of behavior. And the legacy systems are just really struggling to keep up with that. The bank's processes, the time it takes for them to do various things is really causing them a challenge that customers are becoming more and more dissatisfied with the typical way that they've interacted with their bank in the past. So time is sort of the one of the key pressures that's been placed on banks with their legacy systems right now. So looking to the future, having set the scene by outlining the problems of the past, what defines a next generation core banking platform? I think when we look at the, the, the most important thing is we see ourselves as an enabler. The idea being that a customer of ours or someone that's using a next generation core banking platform is able to deal with those demands that I mentioned earlier. They're able to respond in a reasonably fast-paced way. They're able to innovate quickly. They're able to also meet different drives and different market needs. AI is a perfect example. You know, it's become the hot topic right now. And I think AI will have a particular impact on financial services, particularly on the ability for banks to support and service their customers much faster and a much better level. And again, that's a prime example where you're just not seeing these legacy, legacy systems will be able to support that. So I think next generation systems are really there to enable the capability to allow their customers to do things at the speed that their customers are demanding. And I think that's the number one priority, that they basically then allow banks to focus on being banks and servicing their customers or financial service providers, rather than worrying about being big technology shops. You use the word service and servicing there quite a lot. And I think we do have to remember, and indeed the banks themselves do have to remember, that they are actually in a service industry. <laughs> I think a lot of them have forgotten that, Robin, to be perfectly honest. And I think gone are the days where you sort of, you're eight years old and your parents take you down to the bank and you open your first bank account and you get your bank book and then you stay with that bank for the rest of your lives. You know, customers now have a very, very different expectation on what's going on. And let me say for myself, like I have, a, I have a mortgage and a loan with one bank. I have a credit card with another bank. I have my transactional account with another bank. I'm actually going where I'm getting the best service, the best customer experience to meet the needs that I have. So I like the term at the speed of life. And really, I think that's what customers are looking for from banks and financial institutions. They want someone that's going to be able to support the speed that the way their life operates. Let's talk a little bit about how the banks go about doing that. The, the key building blocks of a next generation core, you mentioned AI, obviously, that's big and that's, that's the next generation of the next generation, I think, you know, but it's certainly becoming a really hot topic. Well, if I was to rattle off uh, some headlines for you, cloud-native architecture, open APIs, microservices, real-time processing, 
perhaps the real-time processing might actually be the most important if you're trying to deliver yeah. to customers at speed. I, I agree. I'd, I'd say all of the above is a critical components that are required. But I think that real-time data accessibility for them to actually understand the customer in real time what's going on, for me, for anyone being able to sort of jump on your phone or your mobile device and have access to your data in real time, how you're behaving and what, those are the key things that need to be enabled right now. And I still think, you know, you still hear stories of a lot of the well-established banks that are still shutting down their systems overnight, doing these ginormous batch runs of data to move it from one part of their system to another part of their system. And I think the, that's where the speed I talk about is becoming a real, real problem. So I think you've hit the nail on the head, that real-time data, access the data, and the ability for a platform, a next-gen platform like Tomb, to allow its customers to have that real-time ability is critical to enable that experience that I talked about. Now, you're talking about banks with systems there that are on their premises, on-prem. But presumably, if you're looking to the future now, the argument between having an on-premises system that the bank runs itself and something that is cloud native is completely done with. We are talking about cloud as the future. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, if I look back five or six years ago and you talked about putting your core or a mission critical system in the cloud, you used to get a funny look from people. But I mean, one of the biggest problems was actually the regulators themselves. The regulators still had a very negative view towards sort of cloud and cloud native. I really believe that glass ceiling has been broken. So I really think that argument has sort of almost disappeared to a certain degree. If I look globally, there's still some countries where some of the regulators are still quite conservative and really about data sovereignty and it's staying on-prem within the country. But that being said, I think there's definitely been a shift. So that used to be one of the biggest challenges when you're having this discussion. I think it's way down the list these days. That being said... We ourselves are trying to be as flexible as possible. So we actually support on-prem deployments, private cloud deployments, and cloud native deployments as well. So we know that we have to cater because some parts of the industry are certainly well advanced. Others are taking a little bit of time to catch up. Staying under the hood for a moment, how important is open architecture? I think it's critical. And the reason why I think it's critical, again, is that Gone are the days where you just want this one monolithic system that does everything for you. The interconnectability or creating an ecosystem of best of breed capability is really where the market seems to be going. So I think that open architecture, the open IP API framework allows the interoperability that a lot of financial institutions are looking for as well. Because if you look at the established banks, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars, particularly on their UX and their front-end capabilities, they don't want to like basically throw that out. So the ability for a next-gen core to be able to slot in and then support those, some of those significant investments they've already made are critical. Gone are the days of what I call the heart-lung transplant surgery projects. I mean, they just don't, you don't hear about them anymore. So it needs to be that incremental transformation. So the ability for a next-gen core to really be able to support the, uh, again, allowing them to innovate and transform incrementally at the speed is critical as well. You mentioned heart-lung transplants there. These things can, of course, occasionally go wrong, and there have been one or two examples of that in recent years, not least here in the UK. I won't embarrass the banking question by naming it. But, <laughs> no, but I think let's, it talk, let's talk about how 
the approach you suggested, a smart migration approach, helps banks move off their current systems. What do you mean by smart migration? So typically what we're seeing is that, you know, the way we advocate and the way we engage is we're typically having discussions with established banks and saying, what's your biggest pain point? How do we help you solve a problem? And typically that problem isn't their end-to-end system or their entire capability. It might be they need to be able to do something smarter with lending or they need to be able to launch a different type of transactional account or support a particular um, expansion into a geography. So what we call that is that incremental transformation. So allow an exchange core to come in and solve that problem for you. And then you've got this, you can do this incremental transformation over time. You might, really good example, let's say, would be consumer lending. With these loans, they roll over. So you spin up a new, your new platform here, and then you launch all your new loans off this platform. But when this other one needs to roll over, you don't roll it over on the old legacy platform, you roll it over onto the new platform. So what you're doing there is you're giving them a clear path to transition you're de-risking. You're not this big switch on, switch off approach. Now, yes, it's a little bit of capital expenditure. Yes, two cores in parallel for a period of time, but it certainly is taking some of the risk away to these projects that have cost hundreds of millions of dollars and gone absolutely sideways, which you, you were referring to earlier. So we're seeing that very much as the type of trend that the banks want to look at now. Well, now there's a thing because you started off talking about the speed of development and speed of change in customer expectations. We've talked about AI, speed of solutions development is getting faster as well. How can any bank reasonably expected to keep current with all this? That sort of flows back to the starting point is that the only way you can even attempt to stay current with this is on next generation technology. One of the biggest problems, a lot of the big banks want to innovate. And they have these great plans to innovate. The problem is it's taking them two years to put their plan into action. And in the two years, the market's moved on already. So I think that's the power of a next-gen platform. Get past on-prem, go with a SaaS model and consume it as a service because you know in the background that organisation is constantly upgrading, constantly improving. You're on the latest version. You're not having to do constant upgrades. So it doesn't solve the problem completely, Robin, but you allow them at least to be certainly in a much better place than they are right now. Because at the end of the day, and this is the interesting thing, you know, a lot of the neos and the digitals, you know, some of them don't do very well, but some of them are doing quite well because they're not hamstrung by legacy technology. A lot of the established banks have spent, as I said, a huge amount of money on their periphery systems and their UX but it, it's got to a point in time now that they've got to start thinking about the engine under the hood, um, to, to use your reference. They've got to start upgrading that capability. There was a really interesting survey done a couple of years ago. I think they interviewed a 1,000 CEOs of, of banks, and 57% of them said if they don't evolve, they'll become extinct. And that really is sort of, I think, quite a lot of them realise that now they have to do something. They can't just band-aid this technology, which is what they've tended to be doing for the past few years. Well, let's turn the spotlight fully onto you now then. Talk me through the solutions that your company, Tuum, offers. We do call ourselves a core banking platform. and We actually describe ourselves as more than core. So we provide that core banking capability, which is that 
typical transaction account, lending capability, um, sort of the fundamental basic um, business and consumer type products that are required. We also provide a full payment suite out of the box, and we also provide a card, card management capability. So we, we, we make ourselves a little bit broader in regards to the types of services we offer. But again, we're not an end-to-end solution. So we very much adhere to that philosophy I talked about before that we look to plug and play into existing investments that institutions have made. We have an extensive ecosystem of partners that we work with that specialise in some of those other areas, such as KYC, AML, the, the various components that you need to be a financial institution. And so, you know, we really position ourselves in that we work up and down the spectrum. So we do have some very large sort of uh, tier two clients. We also have a number of smaller clients as well. So really we're sort of trying to stick to that problem solving mentality that I talked about, where we're really sort of working with both established institutions and new institutions that really want to solve a problem. So that more than core, we're there to basically help them build their business and the other area that we really focus on, particularly for established banks, is we're investing a lot of R&D into what we call smart migrations. One of the biggest challenges that established banks have is the migration component of moving from one platform to another. And quite often that can be the project killer that you referred to earlier. So we're really sort of spending a lot of time about investing in migration suites, capability, toolkits, so we can give those institutions a lot of confidence. Um, and we're actually building out blue. We're doing a lot of migration projects at the moment where we're building out blueprints to really allow our, our, custo- our current customers and future customers to be able to migrate um, seamlessly with as little pain as possible. Miles Bertrand, Chief Executive Officer of Tuum, thank you very much.